Well, good morning again. I get to continue preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. It's, uh, it's been a long time, but it's been good. It's been good for me. Um, I never realized before I studied to preach through this uh, how many shocking truths there were in the Sermon on the Mount. When I thought of the Sermon on the Mount, I just thought, oh, these are, this is Christianity 101. These are basics that everyone agrees with, everyone loves. And um, I found out after studying it um, and spending more time in it how challenging each sermon Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount, how challenging it was for the church. And um, so, as we're thinking through it, we're, we're in Matthew chapter 7, if you want a placehold there in your Bibles. Um, I thought about bringing an illustration, because a picture, you know, says a thousand words, they say, and um, some pictures even say more than that. Uh, but I brought this picture for you to think about in is illustrating the sermon. If you look at this, the, it's a split screen. It's supposed to be the same hamburger. On the left is reality. And uh, that is a hamburger maybe you'd get in a regular fast food place, just any one. Um, and that's what it really looks like. But on the right, that's how they advertise it on TV. Uh, it takes about three minutes to prepare the sandwich on the left. It takes about four hours uh, from a lighting food specialist and a photographer, editing Photoshop type stuff. Uh, it takes a lot to get it looking like that. Or maybe the next picture kind of brings it home. Uh, have you ever watched a commercial and uh, what they showed on TV wasn't what you opened up in the bag? Has that ever happened to any of you? Okay, maybe I'm the only one that eats fast food in America. But, uh, and, and I really don't. I don't anymore. But if you look, I don't know if you can see it, on the left is the advertisement, on the right is the reality. That's what you actually find in the bag. Do you know what they call this? False advertising. <laughs> this is called false advertisement. It's when you tell people this is the truth, and then once you get it, once you get there, it's a whole different experience. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of these restaurants are guilty of false advertising. And for legal purposes, I want to make it clear, I'm not saying that they're guilty of that crime. But did you know false advertising is a crime? It's a real crime. It's tort law, if you know what tort is. It's like a crime where you don't really go to prison, you just have to pay fines. It's, it's a kind of civic type law stuff, a lot of them are tort laws. You're not allowed to false advertise as a business. I, I looked up the definition and I want to share it with you on the screen. False advertising is the crime or tort, tort law, of publishing, broadcasting, or otherwise publicly distributing an advertisement that contains an untrue, misleading, or deceptive representation or statement, which was made knowingly or recklessly and with the intent to promote the sale of property, goods, or services to the public. Now, I know that's a mouthful, but I want you to think about something. Why is this a law in America? Why is it a crime to falsely advertise? Well, you probably already know, it's a crime because it's theft. It's deception and people can lose money on it. Or they could get hurt, right? It's not just restaurants. Do you know there are different laws 
in America, in Kansas, about false advertising, which include bait and switch. Have you ever heard of bait and switch? Bait and switch is where they say, hey, we have this thing on sale this week, come to our store. And you see it in the ad and you're like, oh, I want to go there. And you go there and you talk to one of their sales guys and they're like, yeah, but you don't really want this. I mean, this is like old school, this is yesterday. The real thing you want is this more expensive upgraded model. And they try to get you to buy that model. That's called bait and switch false advertising. There's also a, uh, there's a law against not having enough sale items. So if a business advertises in the newspaper or in ads or on TV commercials, they say, hey, we're going to have this sell item, but they don't have a reasonable amount unless they tell you. That's why, I don't know if you ever noticed, it says limited supplies until they're done with. They have to, by law, say that because there has to be a reasonable amount of sell items or else they could be sued for false advertisement. They're not allowed to just say, come here for this and then try to sell you something else. Uh, it's also against the law for businesses to sell some, to have an advertisement and say, hey, come and get this thing for like $5. You're like, yes, I want to get that thing. You go to the store and they're like, yeah, you can have this for $5 if you make this $50 purchase. They're not allowed to do that unless they tell you in the ad, in print, it's explicit, you have to buy something else first. Did you know that people can go to jail for false advertisement and people get sued all the time actually for this? It is against the law to falsely advertise. And uh, it doesn't bother us when it happens with fast food because, you know, everyone kind of knows. We know before we do it. You know, we know. We know it's going to be different. But I want you to think for 10 seconds. Why, why do Americans make it illegal? Why do, we, why do we have a law against it? It's because it hurts people. Now, it's normally just money, it's normally just a little bit of cost that you get out. But the reason why they have it against the law is because you can falsely advertise vehicles. You can falsely advertise homes, real estate, property. You can falsely advertise something and someone can be deceived and tricked out of millions of dollars, potentially. And so it's a law. And uh, sometimes the consequences ruin people's lives. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. When does false advertising ruin your life or the, life, the lives of your children? Because that's what Jesus preaches about. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus preaches about a false advertising of ideas. He, his sermon is on, there is false advertising out there of ideologies, of philosophies, of perspectives, ways of living. There's false ideas out there of this is who God is, or this is what he wants, or this is the truth about eternity, or this is what happens after you, you die. Jesus warns in his sermon that there's a false advertising of ideas, and the church needs to be aware of it. And it's not just Jesus. The New Testament writers actually spend a significant amount of time on this, more time than I really realized before. In 2 Peter, I read from 2 Peter chapter 3 at the beginning of the service, 2 Peter chapters 2 and 3 are all about the false advertising of ideas. And so turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 15. I'm going to read to you Jesus' sermon on the false advertising of ideas. Matthew 7, verse 15. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. 
You'll recognize them by their fruit. And then he asks a question. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So he asks a question to get them thinking. They know the answer to it. Even a five-year-old would know the answer to it. And he says, be on guard. So Jesus begins his sermon with be on guard. This is a military term. This is a military term that you would tell soldiers, hey, you need to get dressed and ready for war. The enemy is upon us. They're here. Get your shield, get your sword, get your armor on. You need to be on guard. You need to be ready because danger is lurking. The enemy is here. It's not time for vacation. It's not time to relax. You need to know that you're in a battle. Be on guard. And he's not saying be on guard against physical danger. Jesus is saying be on guard against the, the battle of ideas. There is a battle of ideas going on, of truth claims, and you and I have to protect ourselves. That's what Jesus is saying. So today, we're going to think about false teachers, those that lie to us, those that, whether they knowingly or not, deceive us. We're going to think about ideas, but I want you to know it's not just about them, right? False teaching is not just about false teachers, because some of you who know this passage, you may say, well, I'm not a false teacher, and you're right. But notice how Jesus begins the sermon. Be on guard. He's talking to people that know they're not the false teacher. He wants us to be ready, to be defensive, to be ready to defend ourselves from lies. So principle, there's two principles as we think through this sermon. Number one, it's not just about false teachers. This is about us. And number two, any of us can be deceived. Any of us can be deceived. The moment that you think you don't need Jesus' warning to be on guard. The moment that you and I think, I can't be deceived. <laughs> I can't be tricked. I, you're not going to pull the wool over my eyes. I, I won't be tricked with lies. The moment you start thinking that I cannot be deceived, you already are. You already are. It's the beginning of deceiving someone. It's the beginning of the enemy's attack. You, can, you are deceived if you think you cannot be deceived. And so those are two principles. It's not just about them, it's about us. And number two, any of us can be deceived. So, based on Jesus' description, as he begins with his be on guard, how does he describe false teachers and false teaching? How does he prepare us? I mean, how do you stand guard and ready? How do you defend yourself? How does he describe them? Well, there's three characteristics that we'll go over. And the first characteristic is they claim to speak the truth. They claim to speak the truth. Listen to how Jesus teaches us about being on guard. Matthew 7, verse 15. Be on your guard against false prophets. What's a false prophet? In their day, remember, this is spoken 2,000 years ago, and it's in a culture and a context that was 1,500 years started before that. To the Israelites, to the Hebrews, they had three kinds of leaders. You had the king, which God said, I'm the king, don't pick a king, and they wouldn't listen. They wanted a king, and it ruined them. You had a king, but then you had two other kinds of leaders for the people. It was prophet and priest. Now, the prophet and priest is really easy to understand for their culture. The prophet was someone who spoke to the people on behalf of God, 
A prophet is someone who ministered to the people by saying, here's what the Lord wants, here's what the Lord says. So if you think about it like a direction, imagine God is on one side, the people are on the other, the prophet stands in the middle with his back facing God, his face facing the people. This is the direction that the prophet ministers into. He speaks on behalf of God. The priest is the complete opposite. So the priest stands between the people and God with his back to the people. He ministers to the people by relating it to God, by offering sacrifices, not to the people, but to God. By the offerings, the grain offerings, the what goes on in, in their temple, in their tabernacle, in their, their spiritual life. So the prophet speaks to the people, the priest ministers on behalf of the people to God, if that makes any sense. So they're opposite. So a priest to them was someone who spoke the truth, who gave them wisdom and insight. This is what God wants. But the prophets weren't just for God. You guys, if you read the Old Testament, the prophets of Baal, the prophets of other gods. So prophets don't just speak for our God, they speak for any God. So what Jesus is saying is, these are the people that speak absolute truth to you, even if they don't say they speak for God. If they, they, if they say that they speak for absolute truth, that's who the false prophets were. That's who they are. So Jesus says, be on guard, be, be ready to defend yourself from false teachers. Not just, people, not just pulpits, not just preachers, anybody that claims to speak the truth. So this could be popular actors and actresses. This could be political figures. This could be people with a social media platform. This is anybody that says, hey, here's the truth. You need to go this way or you need to think this way about, I don't know, I'm just making stuff up, sexuality, gender identity, uh, money, the poor, uh, war, fighting, uh, marriage, Uh, gender, like men or women, anybody that says, here's the truth about life, here's the direction you need to go, that is someone that could be a false prophet that you need to be aware of. They claim to speak the truth. So Jesus says, be careful. Be on guard. Be ready to defend yourself. Don't just be sitting idly by. Take it seriously. There are people that say, that pretend they speak for God, but they don't. And it's not just about the pulpit. This is about anybody that claims to speak absolute truth. Scientist, uh, any kind of leader that says, here's the truth about life and death and what's right and what's wrong, righteousness, justice, anybody. Be on your guard against those that are false, that they're not telling you the truth and they're not leading you to the right way. So they claim to speak the truth. The second characteristic about them is they appear to be harmless. They appear to be harmless. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in what? Sheep's clothing. Have you ever heard of that? A wolf in sheep's clothing, if you've ever heard of it. This is a popular idiom for their day. It's still popular today. They say, be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. It's their way of saying, be on guard against those who pretend to be harmless. Uh, They're just, they care about you. They're nice. They're just like you. They, they, they think the way that you think. They like the things you like. They're just one of the buddies. They're one of the humankind. They're, 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 they're not dangerous. They're not trying to lead you astray. They're not like the shepherds. They're just, a, they're just a sheep. They're just like you. And God says, beware. 
Be on your guard against those that pretend or appear to be harmless, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You know, uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing uh, is not really a sheep. And uh, sometimes we have sheep in wolves' clothings. Uh, Those are just Christians that have bad theology and don't realize it. But there are wolves in sheep clothing that try to get everyone else come this way. Believe this way about life. Believe this way about this direction. And you know what I think is uh, ironic and funny and sad at the same time? A shepherd loves the sheep. But so do wolves. It's just in a different way, right? Wolves love sheep like I like Chick-fil-A. Wolves love sheep for what they can get out of them. And, and you got to know, it's not just money. We are not in a battle for just money in our day. We are in a battle of ideas. Wolves in sheep clothing pretend, oh, I'm just like you. Come this way, believe this way, follow this way. And as long as you agree with them, they love you. Bah, yeah, let's snuggle up with each other. Let's eat this grass again. Oh, let's go to this pasture. Yeah, I know the shepherds say that. No, 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 don't worry about that. Let's come over here. It's really good. They're nice to you as long as you agree with them. I, I want to test you. You read the scriptures and see what it says about sexuality, marriage, parenting, uh, life after death, right and wrong, righteousness, holiness, sanctification. You read what it says and then go out there and see if a bunch of people just agree with that. They will not agree with that. They're not, mainstream culture is not in line with that. And they won't bother you. They're going to pretend, oh, I'm just like you. It's a better way. Let's just love everybody, accept everything. Who cares about what the truth is? Like, this is the truth. We just need to be nice and just whatever. They will say that and they will be gentle and nice as long as you agree with them. You don't agree with them and you'll see the fangs. The wool will come off. And you will see how much they actually love you. They will love you like a wolf loves a sheep. You throw pearls before swine, they'll stump, they will trample all over it. And then they will turn and attack you. So Jesus is saying, be on your guard. They, they appear to be harmless, but really they're destructive. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is toward the end of his life, toward the end of his ministry. He goes, he's not in Ephesus, Ephesus, but he, he's, he's in Miletus, and he calls to the elders uh, in Ephesus, and he says, you guys got to come here. It's his farewell address to the elders. It's a big chapter. It's really important for elders to know. Acts chapter 20. Paul is an apostle, and he tells the elders, I want you to remember this. This is my last charge. This is my last orders to you. This is so important to God, our King. He says in verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers. You be on guard. It's a military term. Be watchful. Be discerning. Protect yourself. You need to be carrying. You need to have the sword of the Spirit. You need to have the shield of faith. You need to know there is a real battle out there and you be on guard for yourselves and not just for you and for the flock because God has put you in charge over them. To the shepherd, the, to, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And listen to verse 29. I know, I know that after my departure, 
savage wolves will come in among you. There are going to be wolves that want to destroy the flock. They will want to kill Christians. They will want to beat Christian thoughts, Christian principles, biblical truth, biblical doctrines. They are going to want to destroy that. They will come in among you, not sparing the flock. They're not playing games. This is not, well, I know that, you know, it's not exactly what the Bible says, but can't we all just get along? It's not like that. It's going to destroy people. Then he says, men will rise up even from your own number. That means even from your church membership, there will be people that call themselves Christians that will rise up in local churches and say, I know what the elders have been teaching. I understand what church history is talking about. That's all. You know what? Let's just go this way. Don't you want to be comfortable? Don't you want your neighbors to like you? Don't, don't, don't you want to be on the right side of history? Don't you want to be well-liked? Don't you want that promotion at work? Don't you want life to be just a little bit easier? And you know what? The sheep are like, yes. Yes, we do want that. And they will come from among even your own number. There will be men in the church that teach against what the elders that God has established for the church, they will teach doctrine outside of that. And distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Think about that last sentence that Paul gave them. It's going to be from your own people. And they're going to want people to follow them, their ideas, their philosophy of life. I know it's hard for some of us to imagine. You may have uh, what I like to call just a happy, optimistic personality. And man, I need you in my life. I'm not that way. I'll just be honest with you. I'm not that way. I'm suspicious of everything and everybody. I'm inquisitive. I want to ask questions. I'm not convinced yet. I, I don't get convinced for a long time. It's hard for some people to imagine my favorite people in my whole life are not like me. <laughs> it's hard for them to imagine there are people out there that want to eat you up, that want to destroy you. No, come on. Do you really think they have a hidden agenda? I mean, they're just like me. No, they're not. A warrior can spot another warrior, but the person in the recliner can't see it. There are people that want to destroy you, and they're crafty. They are, man, they're slick. They're smooth, they're attractive, they're gentle, they're nice, they're pleasant to listen to. The Bible says they want to tickle your ears. Now, I have kids, I love tickling them, it's fun. But when you think of tickle, don't think laugh, think joy. They tell you things that make you happy. Be careful. Be on your guard. Don't swallow it all up. Don't take everything they say. Be on your guard. They claim to speak the truth. They appear to be harmless. But buddy, they're dangerous. You need to be on guard. Some people have an agenda and they don't care if it kills you. Now listen, do they know that they're following the devil? No. Do they think they're actually hurting you? A lot of them don't. Their ideas will hurt the society, will hurt community. It will cause death. They may not know that personally about you. I agree. They're not just, oh, I hate them. They're just evil, malicious people. Not all of them are. Some of them are. The best ones are. They want to destroy you because they want you to follow them. They want to lure you 
to believe like they believe, to be proud like they're proud, to follow a direction. They're rebels against God. They don't want to follow what the Scripture says. They say the Scripture is old, expired, a different culture, a different time. We've evolved. We're smarter. No, we're not. We need God's truth. They don't always just want money. You know, Jesus said, a little leaven ruins the whole lump. A little bit of deception will ruin your life. That's why it's important to him. So how do we avoid all the ideologies or beliefs that are destructive? How do we avoid these harmful, they pretend to be harmless, but how do we avoid these harmful thoughts? Well, the first thing, I'll give you the churchy term, then I'll give you the practical. The churchy term is, we have to make disciples. We have got to teach people and to show them, not just with our mouths, but with our lives, this is the truth and this is what God said. And you can have hope. You can have real life. You can have true joy. You can have real truth. There's an absolute truth. You can have it. And we need to teach our children. We need to teach our children in our home. This is, how, this is what Jesus really said about this, about sexuality and marriage and gender. This is what the Bible really teaches about these things. This is what the real truth is. And it's here. God, Jesus came to give you life and to give you abundantly We need to teach our children, and not just what to think, but how to think. Do you know if you teach someone just what you think is true, if you don't teach them how, if you don't explain the why behind it, it will be easily dismissed. And then you'll be shocked when it's like, dude, I thought they agreed with me the whole time they lived in my home. As soon as they became adults, they totally, how come they don't agree with my lifestyle? Like, what happened? It's because... To make disciples, you have to teach them how. Now, it doesn't always work. You could try your best. Jesus had a disciple named Judas Iscariot. He wasn't the best disciple. He didn't follow him the whole time. So you could do your part well, and still someone could turn away, but we've got to be making disciples. Number two, we've got to know our Bibles. You know, in 2 Peter chapter 3, what did Peter say at the end? You know this in advance. You know that there's going to be false teachers. There's going to be false ideologies. So grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Why does he use that word uniquely there? It's not a word he normally uses. He wants you you to think, listen, for you to be able to defend yourself from the false teachers, you've got to grow in the knowledge of Jesus. You have to know the word. You have to know the Bible. You have to learn. You have to sit under good Bible teaching. You've got to spend your days reading through it and struggling through it. You won't understand all of it, and that's okay, but put in the effort to read it, to be in God's Word. And we have to realize we can't avoid the world. You are going to be living in the world, right? I don't know if, if this is true for any of you. This is, I'm just sharing my experience. I used to have a streaming subscription that I really liked, and I liked it for my kids. It, in particular, had a show called Bluey on it that I really like. really like that show. Bluey's so good. Uh, I wish I was Australian every time I watch that show. Uh, Bluey's great. But we decided to cancel that subscription to that particular streaming service because it is so staunchly anti-Christian that it's dangerous. There's a lot of shows on there that are so alluring to kids It's so attractive to the young next generation and we have to realize we can't pull them out of the world. This is their culture. These are going to be their friends. We just have to accept it. This is our world and we're going to have to learn how to process it and deal with it and how to approach it. Uh, We're not going to be able to avoid it. 
So when Jesus says be on guard, be on guard does not equal bunker down, right? Think about the armor, the the spiritual armor, the armor of God. Does any of it look comfortable to be sitting down in? No. It's not made for sitting down. It's not made for a bunker. It's made for battle. Don't be a bunker Christian, be a battle Christian. Be on guard. So they claim to speak the truth, they appear to be harmless, and the third characteristic is they pretend to be fruitful. And this is where they're tricky. This is so tricky. Jesus says, you'll recognize them by their fruit. Now, I'll have to explain what fruit is because it's not actually like tomatoes. Uh, Just to mess with you. Anyway, it's not tomatoes. Uh, I have to explain what fruit is. He says, you'll recognize them by their fruit. Fruit is like the Christian terminology used in the New Testament. It's not as popular now. Fruit is like the, the result, the actions, what comes of it. And there's two ways in which the New Testament uses fruit. He says, you're going to recognize the false teachers and their teaching by their fruit. Then he asks a question, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles, and everybody knows, no, you can't get that. And he goes, of course, in the same way, every tree, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. He's giving them an illustration, a parable that they'll understand. You're not going to get a good result from something that's poisonous Like, think poison berries, you know, think fruit that's rotten or a tree that doesn't produce good fruit for you. The whole thorns and thorn bushes, do you know there are certain bushes that produce little, beautiful red berries? They're so pretty. They're shiny. They look wonderful in the sun. If you were hungry and you walked by one and you were untaught, you would say, I've stumbled upon treasure. And you would take that berry and you would eat it and then you'd die or you'd at least have diarrhea. There's different kind of berries. <laughs> it's probably the only time it's okay to use diarrhea in a sermon. Uh, but Jesus uses this. If you take a survival training, uh, a survival training in wildlife, a wildlife survival training, you'll learn that there are certain berries that are not good for you. Don't eat them. They look good, but they're bad. That's what Jesus is talking about. And, he, and he, he uses it back in their day and even in this day. He means it in two ways. There's the fruit of their own lives where they say one thing, but they do another. They're hypocrites. And Jesus talks about that. But then there's a fruit of their doctrine, their teachings, their ideologies. I'll give you an example. Right now in our culture, it says, a lot of people are saying that even though you could be born a male or female, that doesn't mean that you are male or female. That you can choose to be a different gender because of your own desire. Now, how, some good people with good lives actually say that. They're nice, they're kind, they don't yell at their kids, they have a dog, they don't have cats. I mean, they're good people. <laughs> they're genuinely down-to-earth good people, right? They've got it going on. Okay, The fruit of their idea, if we take that doctrine, that belief about gender, and we say, you know, even though the Bible explicitly teaches against that, explicitly is contrasted against that, what if we take their fruit, their idea, what will happen? 
It's like taking a seed. Today, you might get a lot of friends. You might be well-liked. You might get a promotion. And you might have a really good year today. But when you plant a tree, do you get fruit that same year? No. So when he says you will recognize them by their fruit, he's also speaking of their doctrine. Take their teaching, their ideology to its conclusion. What will it be when it's all grown up? What is the result if you decide to go that way? So if someone comes by and says, hey, I know Jesus says go that way, but let's go this way. And while you're walking, you're like, dude, this path is awesome. I mean, for a couple days, maybe even some weeks, you're like, this is easy. I'm liking this. Everything's going well. Maybe God was wrong. Maybe the Bible's not true. Because now that I'm taking this other road, I'm telling you, this, this road is kind of easy. But in 10 years, it won't be. And God says, the fruit, you will recognize them by the fruit, by the conclusion of that teaching, what happens to a society when they go against their gender? When they go against God's word, not gender. Forget gender. When they go against God's word, what happens to them in the long run? It might look really pretty for 20 years, and then you find you have poison fruit, and it kills everybody. So Jesus is saying, they pretend to be fruitful, but judge that fruit. What he's not saying is judge the tree. And that's where people miss this. He's not saying judge the tree because if you try to judge the tree, you can be mistaken. Sometimes one tree looks like another before it's full grown and bearing fruit. You won't necessarily be able to tell that's a bad tree yet. You don't just go cutting it down before it's full grown. You have to think through it. I'll give you an example. I have a... I have a book up here, but let me read the next verse, okay? We're talking about trees. It's not about judging the tree. Look at verse 19. Jesus warns of the consequences of the tree. Verse 19 in Matthew 7. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He's not saying the fruit, he's saying the tree. Eventually, that tree is going to burn. It's going to be a waste. It's going to be for nothing. It's not going to be productive. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be good for them either. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Now this brings up an important question, and I want to use this book as an illustration. This book is uh, titled Seeing Jesus from the East, and it's written by a guy named Ravi Zacharias. Anybody ever heard of Ravi Zacharias? Yeah. Uh, Not too long ago, Ravi Zacharias, uh, after he passed away actually, it came out that he had uh, a sinful lifestyle in, in one particular area of his life. And he did horrible things, things that I wouldn't want to share with you, just horrible things. And it came out that this man who a lot of people trusted, he was a teacher. He claimed to speak the truth, and he, he tried to lead people to the truth. And it came out that he had a secret, sinful lifestyle, and uh, the Christian church was so upset. I was upset. I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait, that guy? I just can't believe Ravi Zacharias. And there were some Christians that said, Should we burn his books? Literally. I know that sounds funny to some of you, but some of you know what I mean. Should we just do away with everything he ever wrote or taught? I mean, Jesus said a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit and a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. Was he actually a bad tree and no one knew it? What do you do? It's not about judging the tree. It's about judging the fruit. Why do I still own and think Ravi Zacharias' books are good? Because I'm called to judge the fruit, the teaching. I think the teaching is good. 
it saddens me that his life was so bad. Here's something that I think that I can't prove. I think that Ravi Zacharias is going to be in heaven. And when I get there, at some point, I'll meet him and talk to him. And this is what I know right now. If he is there, which I think there's no reason to doubt that he is, if he is there, he is not going to have any more regret than I will at the judgment. He will not be the only one in heaven that has regrets. Now, the way that we determine do we write a person off, a tree off or not, that's not what Jesus is saying. He says, judge the fruit. If his teaching is bad, throw out the teaching. If he's leading people astray, throw it out. It doesn't mean you judge him. It means you judge the fruit. I'll give you uh, an illustration that really helped me with this idea because I know this is complicated. I know that there are even some of you that may disagree with me on that, and that's okay. I understand. And I'm not right about all these things. I don't, I don't, I'm not, conv- I just know all these things. I, I try to do my best at interpreting the scripture. Will you read Matthew 23 with me real quick and just think about what Jesus taught? Matthew 23, I'm going to read verses 1 and 3, 1 through 3. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds. There it is. What about teachers who sin? Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Okay? They teach from the Old Testament, the Bible. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. Obey the teaching of Scripture. But, this is a strong but, don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. Now, just let that settle in. He's not saying disown the teachings that they gave about the Old Testament that are true. They stand in the seat, and there was a special seat. If you walked into any synagogue, you turn to the left, mostly there's a seat. It's a stone seat Very in almost every synagogue that they've dug up in Israel, in Galilee. They have this seat. It's called the Seat of Moses. Uh, one of the, uh, the, the highest scribe would be there. He'd sit there, um, and uh, that would be the place of kind of like authority, but not that that person was authoritative, but that the Scripture was. And, they, and Jesus told them for their culture, there are going to be teachers that actually live differently than what they say if they're teaching the truth if they're teaching what's true do it but don't practice what they do if what they do is lawlessness or if it goes against god's teaching so there's going to be a discerning spirit among us where we can't just write off people as much as we carefully think about what's being taught now some people associate bad teaching so much with themselves that I do not recommend their books. There are some popular Christian writers, I use that in quotes because it makes me upset, they teach things that are blasphemous and wrong. I don't recommend any of their books because their books are full of deceptive lies. But Ravi Zacharias, he's dead. He's not going to come out with a new book that's teaching people to be sexually immoral. So I don't mind recommending some of his writings. So we have to have a spirit of discernment to know whether something is leading people and it's producing bad fruit, or maybe the teaching is okay, even though we question some of the things they do. And I would say, and I know I'm an elder, and so this kind of sounds a little self-complimenting of me to say, listen to the elders of your local church. 
God has put them as overseers on purpose to study the scriptures and to try their very best to tell you, here's the way we will go. It doesn't mean they will always be right. But that's one of the safeguards that God has given for you to be on guard against false teachers. So lean on them. That's their purpose. Their purpose is to give sound doctrine. False teachers are not the only ones who will answer for their ideas and the way they live their lives. Uh, We will also be judged by our actions. And uh, I want to end with this thought. Christ died so that you and I can know the truth. He suffered and died for that. And in our place, God went through the trouble of preserving his word for you and me so that we would have the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus has made it explicitly clear that he is the way to know true life. He is the real prophet. He's the better priest. He's the true king. He is the one that we need to lead us. None of us are kings. He is the king. And he died so that you and I could know the truth. And he made a way for us to know the truth. And he commands us, listen, don't take it lightly. Take it seriously. Be on guard because there are savage wolves out there and sometimes in here that want to devour the sheep and you need to be serious about the truth. Don't just believe what tickles your ears. Take it seriously because he loves you. And he made a way for you to know the truth. I'm going to pray and I want, if there's anyone here, if there's anyone watching online that you believe that Jesus is the truth and you've never given your life to him, you've never put your faith in Jesus, the one true uh, son of God who came to give us the truth and to make a way. I want you uh, to spend time with God right now as we pray. This could be the most important part of the service for some of you. And so I want to pray and I want you to be thinking, God, Have I been believing false teachings? Have I been led astray by my own temptations? Um, It's it's my own temptation. Let me think about this. Why why is it that he warns us so strongly? You want to know why? It's because I want it to be true. You, You want to know why false teachers are so successful? They promise comfort and pleasure and ease. The crown without the cross, sanctification without suffering, popularity. They promise things that I truly want. It's tempting to us to believe in the false teachings. We want a good relationship with our kids and our grandkids and our neighbors. We don't want to go against mainstream culture. Why? Because we'll be persecuted. Because we're going to be mocked. Because there's going to be relationships that are damaged because of it. So let's pray and think, am I led astray by false teaching because I want it so desperately to be true? Why is it that I'm leading into that? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for being uh, a prophet sent by the Father to teach us the truth, the prophet that Moses guaranteed we'd have in Deuteronomy, the one that we've been looking for. Thank you for being better than any other high priest. You made a sacrifice on our behalf that never needs to be made again. You had no sin, and yet you, you became the curse on the cross so that we could rem- 
so that you could remove the curse from us and give us a blessing. Thank you for ministering to us. Thank you for understanding our weaknesses, our temptations. Thank you for being the one true king that we can follow without worrying about the fruit. We know that if we follow you, in the end, it will be good. Would you bless us now if anyone in here doesn't know you, if anybody watching or hearing, they don't know you, I pray that you would convict their heart. Open the eyes and ears of their heart that they would know you are the way, the truth, and the life. We desire to follow you. We desire to be taught by you. We love you because you first loved us. Make the way for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be on guard. Be on guard. We are the church. In order for us to go be the church, we've got to know the church, the truth, we've got to live the truth, and we've got to share the truth. Grace, we are sent.